and Shadow, a podcast about the complex themes presented in the horror genre. I'm your host, Nicole, and it's time to share another dark tale. In January 2017, I spent a weekend in San Antonio, Texas at the historic Gunter Hotel. The fourth floor room I stayed in just happened to be two doors down from the room where legendary blues musician Robert Johnson recorded in 1936. Before that weekend, I wasn't familiar with the man or the tale, but have since become fascinated with his mythical story. According to folklore, Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads in exchange for great talent and fame. He achieved legendary status and his music continues to be influential to this day. The story is simple and familiar, but its genesis and mystery continue to be relevant in pop culture. Robert Johnson was a traveling musician with humble beginnings in the 1930s Mississippi Delta. His early guitar playing was mediocre at best, and he was asked to step down when he would attempt to play with the touring musicians of the time. He disappeared for a year and a half, and to this day, no one is really sure where he went during that time. But when he returned to the stage, he could play, write, and sing with a talent that no one had ever seen before. Rumors began to circulate that he had not acquired such great skills in a natural way. In alignment with hoodoo legend, some said he met the devil at the crossroads and offered his soul in exchange for talent and fame. His lyrics seem to support this theory in songs such as Crossroad Blues, Me and the Devil Blues, and Hellhound on My Trail. Early this morning, when you knocked upon my door. Early this morning. I heard this legend, I was wondering why the crossroads. Um, and apparently the crossroads has spiritual significance across many cultures. So according to Hoodoo, which is a cousin of Voodoo, in order to acquire facility at various manual and body skills, such as playing a musical instrument, throwing dice or dancing, one may attend upon a crossroads a certain number of times, either at midnight or just before dawn, and one will meet a black man whom some call the devil, who will bestow upon one the desired skills. In the voodoo tradition, Papa Legba is the entity of the crossroads. And the crossroads also has roots in Brazilian and Greek mythology. And in the UK, there was once a tradition of burying criminals and suicides at the crossroads. 
This may have been due to the crossroads marking the boundaries of the settlement, coupled with a desire to bury those outside of the law, outside of the settlement. There was also a belief that the many roads would confuse the dead. So the crossroads have often held a place of significance throughout human history. And it's one of those things, who knows why. Uh, It just seems to be one of those ideas that continues to permeate. So Robert Johnson had a fairly successful run after his alleged deal with the devil. Uh, As an African-American musician in the 30s, his influence was only able to reach so far, but he was a popular act in juke joints all across the South, which were popular African-American clubs. However, uh, Johnson lived the typical rock and roll life of, you know, indulgence and irresponsibility. And apparently he was messing around with someone else's wife and was given a bottle of poisoned whiskey one night at a bar he was playing. And he died at the infamous age of 27. And even though Robert Johnson's reach was relatively small during his life, he has grown to be an absolute legend of blues and is considered by historians and icons such as Eric Clapton and Keith Richards as a major influence on modern rock and roll. And it seems that his story has played a major part in the reference to blues and rock and roll as the devil's music. And I think he actually might be the founding member of the infamous 27 Club. Of course, associating rock musicians with the devil has always been a pretty popular concept, and every generation has their own crop of satanic bands for parents to worry about. Speaking of which, the 27 Club, like Johnson's life, has always carried a mysterious and somewhat ominous air of the supernatural, which makes you wonder just a little bit if maybe your parents and your Sunday school teacher were a little bit right about the devil's music. Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones, Kurt Cobain, and Amy Winehouse all died at the age of 27 under tragic and sometimes even mysterious circumstances. Like Johnson, most of these figures lived the fast life, dominated by fame, substance abuse, and recklessness. So whether natural or supernatural, this particular string of deaths continues to fascinate and confound American culture. Both the tale of Robert Johnson and the legend of the 27 Club have cemented the deal with the devil folklore in American culture, but the origin of the story is much older than that. And the older origin of that story is, of course, Faust. From Wikipedia, the Faust legend has been the basis for many literary, artistic, cinematic, and musical works that have reinterpreted it through the ages. Faust and the adjective Faustian imply a situation in which an ambitious person surrenders moral integrity in order to achieve power and success for a limited term. Now, there are a few different versions of the Faust story. Some actually mention the crossroads, interestingly enough. Um, The ending varies depending upon the author and the tale, but here is the general plot, also from Wikipedia. After Faust makes the bargain, the devil's representative, Mephistopheles appears. He makes a bargain with Faust. Mephistopheles will serve Faust with his magic powers for a set number of years, but at the end of the term, the devil will claim Faust's soul and Faust will be eternally enslaved. During the term of the bargain, Faust makes use of Mephistopheles in various ways. In Guta's drama and many subsequent versions of the story, 
Mephistopheles helps Faust seduce a beautiful and innocent girl, usually named Gretchen, whose life is ultimately destroyed when she gives birth to Faust's bastard son. Realizing this unholy act, she drowns the child and is held for murder. However, Gretchen's innocence saves her in the end, and she enters heaven after execution. In Goethe's rendition, Faust is saved by God via his constant striving in combination with Gretchen's pleading with God. However, in the early tales, Faust is irrevocably corrupted and believes his sins cannot be forgiven. When the term ends, the devil carries him off to hell. So the tale varies depending on who is telling it and what message they choose to convey. I'm sure you can dig into the moral and social themes of the time and see how and why the details have been changed to communicate to any particular culture. And that brings us to the film I want to discuss today. There are plenty of Faustian stories, songs, movies, etc., but I want to talk about a movie that I believe is underseen and underappreciated, and that is the British horror film Heartless from 2009. Of course, things are about to get spoilery, so I really recommend that you watch this movie before listening. Um, it's on Amazon Prime for like $3, um, and if you can't spend $3 on, you know, low-budget, scrappy, passionate horror, what can you spend $3 on? <laughs> so please go watch it. I also want to give a recommendation that you view this movie more for its tone and emotion and just sort of follow along with the protagonist. Don't get too caught up in the linear narrative making 100% sense. Uh, we have a somewhat unreliable narrator, and the plot isn't really the main thrust of the meaning of this movie, in my opinion. Um, I love a movie that has a great somber mood, and this one really delivers on that emotion and mood. So let's get into it. Here's the synopsis. Jamie Morgan is a lonely, troubled photographer with a large, heart-shaped birthmark that covers nearly half of his face and much of his body. He feels like a bit of an outcast because a lifetime of alienation and bullying have left him unable to make friends or attract women. At the photographic studio he shares with his brother and nephew Lee, he meets an aspiring model, Tia. As Jamie develops photos from a shoot, he notices a disturbing face looking at him from the window of a house. When he goes back to investigate, he follows a suspicious man to a group of hooded vandals around a fire who emit eerie shrieks. One notices Jamie and shrieks at him. Jamie is shocked to see a demonic lizard-like face under the hood with huge pen-like teeth. Over time, Jamie becomes aware of a series of horrific murders by Molotov cocktail that have been occurring in the neighborhood. A witness to one of the murders, a little Asian girl, tells a TV reporter that they weren't wearing masks, that the demonic faces were real. Jamie and his mother are walking in the neighborhood when they are attacked by the demonic gang. His mother is immolated while Jamie watches helplessly, and he is savagely beaten and left for dead. While unconscious in a hospital, he glimpses a man in his dream who says he's waiting for Jamie. Later, he receives a phone call from a man with the same voice and is guided to the apartment of Papa B and his assistant, Belle, who looks just like the little Asian girl from the TV report. Papa B offers a Faustian bargain. Jamie must fulfill Papa B's desire for chaos with occasional acts of vandalism in return for the removal of his birthmarks. Despite Papa B admitting that he was responsible for his mother's death as a way of bringing Jamie to him, Jamie consents and they shake hands. 
Jamie is told to immolate himself with a Molotov cocktail in order to be reborn. Jamie miraculously survives and peeled away his burned skin to reveal perfect, unblemished skin underneath. So that was kind of long, but that's pretty much the first uh, half of the movie. I felt like all those details were important to leave in for this discussion. And I will say that the idea of a simple birthmark having so much control over a person's entire worldview might seem like a little bit of a stretch. Um, But I sympathized so much with Jamie's character that I just I just kind of overlooked that. Um, On a side note, the guy who plays Jamie is Jim Sturgis, who is, uh, if you've seen Across the Universe, he's the guy who plays Jude in Across the Universe. So, like, he's a good-looking guy, you know? So I'm thinking, it's not like you're ugly and you have a birthmark. Like, you're a very good-looking man and you just happen to have, you know, a birthmark on your face. But again, I really feel like you just really feel for Jamie, and so you're willing to just believe that he feels this way and just follow him down this crazy road. Also, I think it's possible that he might be suffering from um, depression or some other mental illness because at one point early on in the film, uh, his brother is asking their mother about how Jamie is doing, and she um, kind of alludes to the fact that he's just doing okay, and his brother asks if the old trouble is back. And I think this is a really important detail because it hints it just sets up that Jamie is possibly an unreliable narrator Um, and that causes us to sort of question everything he sees including the demon gang his encounter with Papa B and his relationship with the girl Belle so the larger message of Heartless I believe is just the simple nature of good and evil in the world across these three kind of central themes one how you view yourself Two, how you interact with the world. And three, whose influence you are under. But before we really dig into that, here is a little recap of like the last third of the film. So after Jamie's deal with Papa B, things initially go well. A chance meeting with Tia leads a newly confident Jamie to spend the day with her in the park where his beloved deceased father first taught him to use a camera. The deal sours, however, when the weapons man arrives. Papa B has reneged on their bargain, and Jamie must now commit murder by ripping the heart from a living victim. The weapons man tortures Jamie until he agrees to kill a street hustler. His hope for a better life returns after he and Tia become lovers. During this time, Belle also comes to live with Jamie after Papa B beat her in a fit of rage. She starts calling Jamie dad and becomes a bit of a guide to him, kindly and pragmatically explaining that he has no choice but to kill to save his own life and Belle's. Which, by the way, Belle literally means beauty. So it's like the little girl Belle is like a physical embodiment of his newfound beautiful skin. Moving on. Papa B is outraged at Belle's betrayal and as a punishment demands that Jamie now kill a new victim, Tia. So this is where things in the plot get a little more nutty. But again, I don't think the actual plot points matter so much in this case. It's really about the outcomes. Tia asks Jamie to put a photo album in his work safe, and it is revealed that Tia and Lee, who is Jamie's nephew, intended to steal his late mother's jewelry. Tia had initially meant only to help Lee gain access to the safe via Jamie, but she ended up sincerely falling in love with Jamie. 
During the ensuing struggle, Tia is accidentally shot and killed, and Lee is seriously wounded by Shi, a gang leader to whom he owed money and who wears a metallic claw in place of a severed hand. Jamie is pursued by Shi, but fights back and kills him. Jamie tells Belle, who has turned up from nowhere, that she must flee to stay safe, and she disappears. Then, Jamie spies himself in a mirror and sees that his birthmark has returned, and with it, the knowledge that it had been there the entire time, even while he was courting Tia. Jamie confronts Papa B's minions and fights them off, but when faced with a larger demon which is Papa B in his true form, he runs away. Viewers are left to decide for themselves whether Papa B cheated Jamie by never removing the birthmark or if much of what transpired was the product of Jamie's imagination. So again, that's a lot, but there's a lot of important details in there. So what we ultimately find out is that Jamie's appearance never changed. And Ultimately, he always had the power to love himself, to be confident and embrace the world around him, regardless of the birthmark that has always caused insecurity and pain. What we also see is that he has always had the capacity to kill and contribute to the chaos, even though at one point he says he could never do such a thing. So even though Papa B didn't really give Jamie a fair deal, this reveals a deeper truth about Jamie's humanity and the true nature of the world around him. So as I mentioned, I believe this movie is really about the nature of good and evil in the world across those three central themes. And this is how that applies to Jamie. So first of all, how you view yourself before he meets Papa B, he's insecure, scared, lonely. Afterwards, He's empowered. He's hopeful. Clearly, he's the world around him is a different place. Uh, how you interact with the world. Before, he's very timid. He's very apprehensive. And he has just a dark view of the world. After, he's confident. He's willing to take action. He's willing to be a part, an active part of the world around him. The most important one, I think, whose influence you are under So before he meets Papa B, he's really under the influence of his father and his mother. Um, You can tell he loves his parents, especially his deceased father had just a huge impact on his life growing up. And now that that father is gone, there's a hole there. And that's where a lot of his just like insecurity and and just unsureness comes from. He even says that um, with his biological father, the world made sense. And now that he's gone, just the world doesn't make sense to him anymore. But these... These figures, his father and mother, they love him just as he is. Um, His father even talks about how when he was born, he loved him so much that he kissed him on the face. And that's what caused his heart-shaped birthmark. Um, So he just, his father just has a really optimistic view of the world in light of, you know, any obstacles that there may be. However, after he meets Papa B., Papa B is now like the dark father. So he's under the influence of Papa B and the seemingly sweet Belle who encourages him in the murder. So Belle, it seems like, you know, is supportive of him and loves him and encourages him. But she's also specifically telling him how to murder someone. So this is the like both obvious and subtle influence of evil. And these two only love and accept him if he will do what they want him to do. So if you haven't realized by now, this movie is pretty dark. It's a pretty bleak view of the world. 
And uh, different characters throughout the movie even refer to the world as like a hell. Um, They don't all use the phrasing hell, but that's what it all pretty much boils down to. So watching our our sweet Jamie protagonist devolve literally into a brutal murder just supports this really bleak view. But there is a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, literally and figuratively. So we arrive at the end, which, again, is a little vague, but personally, I'm a fan. After waking up indoors, Jamie staggers outside. On the ground, he sees several masks with sharp teeth and looks up to see several masked and hooded gang members. But these are ordinary masks made of sacks, not the realistic demon faces Jamie has seen so far throughout the movie. Jamie now recalls himself walking and talking with Belle, only now he appears to converse with empty space. As this realization sinks in, a gang member catches him with a Molotov cocktail. As he stands still and burns to death, Jamie experiences a vision of his father, who tells him that you can only see the stars and the blackness of the night. Whether this is a memory or a near-death experience is left unclear. Jamie ascends into bright light. The light then fades into a field of stars in the night sky, mirroring the words spoken by his father. Okay, so like I said, the last little bit of this movie is just a little bit all over the place and you're trying to soak it all in and you're trying to figure out what it all means. And so, you know, I have to stop and think, like, what is this ending communicating in the broader scope of this particular Faustian tale? So obviously, Papa B is the devil. And I'm wondering about the name Papa B. I've seen this movie a few times and I've always kind of wondered, like, why Papa B? Um, It could be Beelzebub. Or even uh, Papa Legba, because Papa Legba is, remember, the entity in hoodoo that you meet at the crossroads. So I think maybe it's a combination of those. But obviously, he's the devil. I mean, it's not subtle. What is more subtle is the presence of Jamie's biological father, deceased father, who I believe could be interpreted as the benevolent god to the evil Papa B. So Papa B sees the world only as a dark, violent, and chaotic place, which, by the way, according to biblical tale, Satan has dominion over the earth. Papa B is in Jamie's physical world. While Jamie's father chooses to see the beauty in the world and says everything is magical if you look at it the right way, he's also not present in Jamie's world in a physical way, but rather in memories and in spirit. And as Jamie is dying, he again sees his father and is comforted by his words and worldview, giving meaning to the whole dark, chaotic mess that Jamie has experienced. So even though he's done terrible things and has experienced much horror, his father is accepting him and welcoming him back into his love. So ultimately, I think what we can take from the Faustian tale and from Heartless specifically is that... Yes, the world is a dark and sometimes brutal place, but your own personal view of it and reaction to it can bring either death and chaos or beauty and hope into it. Whoever told you about the night I slept in a forest? I was only a little bit older than you. I call me with Dad, take some photos. 
I'd never been out in the city. Not at night, I hadn't. So, uh, made this little camp, yeah? And that night, I looked up. God, stars. I'd never seen so many. The sky was blazing with them. Dad explained. You need real dark to see stars. Because in the city there's too many street lamps and stuff. See, so But when things are really dark, as dark as they can get, you see so much more. So many wonderful things. Sometimes, also, things that get darker for you than they do for the rest of us. Well, you've got to. You've got to see those moments as something special. Because they're showing you things. A way of looking at the world that no one else will ever, ever understand. That's a blessing, Jamie. That's not a curse. Does that make sense? I love you, Dad. So if you're interested in learning more about the life of Robert Johnson, I highly recommend checking out the Devil at the Crossroads documentary on Netflix. It covers the scope of his life, his legend, and his influence from historians, rock icons, friends, and relatives. And the style of it is also really cool because um, it's like parts of it are animated and it's just really, really well done. Uh, and there's a lot of media out there that is Faustian in nature. Um, here are just a few that you might want to check out if you're interested. First of all, Rosemary's Baby. Classic. Uh, a man offers his wife as a surrogate mother for the Antichrist in exchange for success in his acting career. Um, Jennifer's Body. A rock band tries to sacrifice a woman in a satanic ritual to gain fame. And, of course, it goes wrong. Now, Jennifer's body is, it's more about other themes than it really is about the satanic ritual. But it's still worth worth a mention. Um, another one is Hell House LLC 3, Lake of Fire. Um, now, the first Hell House LLC is a pretty cool little found footage haunted house movie. Pretty unsettling. They made three of them. Um, I recently watched around Halloween time, the third one. And like, it's got some issues, but it was still enjoyable. And in the movie, they are performing Faust in the cursed haunted house from the franchise. And the plot of the movie kind of loosely plays out like the Guta Faust. Um, so yeah, definitely uh, an interesting twist on the tale. Also, uh, a book that I love, Johann Cabal, The Necromancer. Uh, it's a tongue-in-cheek take on the Faustian bargain. And again, when you make a deal with the devil, things go wrong. But in this book, the devil has possibly met his match. And it's really fun to see how that plays out. Um, I mentioned this book before on the Dark Carnival episode, and I just highly, highly recommend it. So if there are any Faustian tales out there that you love, please let me know. Um, this is a topic that has always been fairly fascinating to me, and I would love to explore it further. 
So thanks for joining me for Deal with the Devil today. And until next time, keep a careful eye on who you meet while traveling down the road. Thanks for tuning in. You can find the show on Instagram and Facebook at Light and Shadow Pod. Sign up to become a supporter on Patreon for early access to all episodes and more. Please rate, review, and subscribe to help other people find the show. Until next time, stay spooky.